Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. Good morning. Great to be with you all. Happy 4th of July weekend. Hopefully your summer is going great. Our family is having a really, really fun summer. So we welcomed our newest child into the world back in May. His name is Jace Lauren Jones, and he is a little beast. Yes, it's been a fun summer with him. The kids have been a delight watching Isla, Jack, and crew interact with their new little brother, which has been a ton of fun. But it's just been a great summer. Lots of family time, lots of time with the kids. And it seems like, especially as kids are getting to that two-year-old stage, which crew is, you begin to really see their personalities. And one of the things that I have loved about crew, our two-year-old, this summer is he is just like everything I love, he is starting to love. So for instance, we had steak last month, which is a great thing to do. And uh, he discovered that my steak was way better than his hot dog. So what he does when he sees food on my plate that he wants, he'll grab my like sleeve right here, my bicep and tricep with both hands. And he just keeps going again, again, and just will grab my arm and just sit, sit there and say, steak again. Steak, again, and just eat all my food, and it's fantastic, which I don't like that my steak's being lost, but I do love that he is acquiring the taste for steak. So crew is just loving the things that I'm loving. He discovered my cookies and cream, uh, what is it, a snow blast from the creamery? What are those things called? Snowstorm? Snowstorm. Thank you, Michael. Snowstorm from the Cedar City Creamery. Those things are fantastic. He discovered that my cookies and cream one was better than his vanilla one. So again, both hands on my arm. More, more, more ice cream, ice cream. Another thing that he loves that I love. So two nights ago, he couldn't fall asleep. He had taken a longer nap later in the afternoon. So we brought him out of the room so he wouldn't wake Isla and Jack up. And he comes, sits on my lap. And I had some of the baseball games going on, the Royals, Cardinals, whatever. And uh, he sees it and he goes, huh, daddy, football, 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 Chiefs, Chiefs, Chiefs. I'm like, you want to watch the Chiefs? And he's like, yes. So I turned on the old game uh, from this season when the Chiefs beat the Chargers. Let's go. And I was like, is this what you want? And he's like, yes, Patrick. And I'm like, yeah, okay, my son, he's amazing. But it's one of the most natural things in the world for your children to love and become passionate for the things that you love and are passionate as, as their father. It's one of the marks of a genuine child. They love the things that you love as a parent. We all have this tendency to pass on our loves and passions to our children. Now, obviously, kids grow up and they will develop their own loves and passions and interests, and that's great. But that is a very natural thing, a mark of a genuine child, that they love what their father loves. And this morning, we're going to see this dynamic at play in our text. In 1 John Three, that children love what their father loves. And our heavenly father, what does he love? Well, he loves his people. He loves his children. And what we're going to see this morning is that genuine children, genuine Christians love God's children. We love each other. Genuine Christians love other Christians. One of the most natural things as you begin to understand the love of God and the love of Christ is to begin to love other believers, other brothers and sisters in Christ. And in fact, what we're going to see is that it's a contradiction to say that I love God and hate Christians. It's actually impossible to make that claim that I love Jesus, but I hate his people. 
that if you truly understand the love of Christ, that it will produce in you a love for others. So the question this morning is, do you love who the Father loves? So it was just read for us, but if you have a Bible, turn to 1 John 3. Now, before we unpack this text, I want to zoom out a little bit and just analyze the, whole, the larger context of the book of 1 John. Now, understanding the epistle of 1 John is different than understanding one of the Pauline or epistles written by the Apostle Paul. Paul uses a lot of linear logic. He makes an argument, point one, point two, point three, therefore the conclusion. That's going to be the flow of the Pauline letters. With John, his letter, his epistle is different. Instead of making a linear argument, he is going to use a technique called amplification. Now, what amplification is, is he's going to present a topic or present a point, and he'll talk about it for a little bit, and then he'll circle back to it multiple times throughout his letter. And each time he circles back to it, he's going to expand and build on what he had previously said about that. So in this letter, there's two major themes that he's going to revolve around. The first we've kind of studied up to this point, and that's the theme of light. He's been circling this theme of light and walking in the light and true children of God walk in the light. That's been kind of the, the major theme of the first three chapters of John. And right here in chapter three, verse 11, we're gonna hit this, this section kind of shift of the book. And the major theme that's gonna to begin to be explored is this theme of love. And multiple times now, he's going to circle back around to this and expand on this idea of what it means to love, what it means that God has loved us and how we should respond in loving others. Now, there's a few important reasons why I say that. First, we're going to be talking about God's love a lot in the next couple of weeks, so just be prepared for that. Uh, second, it's important to realize that when John, whatever John is saying in our passage today is not his full and complete teaching on brotherly or Christian love, that he actually has a lot to say. And if you want to understand his full point, you have to read the entire letter, that, that his full teaching on it is encompassed throughout the entire letter. But on the other hand, he has a purpose for why he's presenting this topic today and he has a particular point he wants to make about Christian love in this passage. Now, some historical context to the book of 1 John. What was happening at the time in the church was that there was a group of people that had broken off from the church and were false teachers. Now, one of the major points or objectives of John writing this letter was to give the genuine believers the resources to assess whether or not they themselves were in genuine faith, and whether or not those around them were in faith. Meaning, one of the major points is he says multiple times, I've written so that you who believed in the name of Jesus might know that you are saved. He wants to give believers the resources to know, am I a true Christian? And so he's going to do that today with this theme of love. If you are a true Christian, if you are a true believer in Christ, one of the most natural fruits of that will be that you love other believers. So let's dive into this. Do you love who the Father loves? That's the primary point of this section. So look at verse 11. We get this simple command right out of the gate. He says this, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Now, he starts verse 11 with that phrase, for this is the message. Now, this is the second time and one of two times John is going to use that phrase, this is the message. The other was back in 1 John 1, 5. 
And scholars believe that these two phrases indicate the section, the two major sections of John's letter. The first, like we said, revolving around light. This now being the second one revolving mostly around love. And what is this message? Well, it's a message that they've heard from the beginning. The beginning meaning the time when Jesus began to teach the disciples. So much of 1 John revolves around the themes in John 17 in the last uh, supper scene. And what is this message that you've heard from the beginning? Very simple. We should love one another. A simple command. We should love one another. It's the command from the beginning. It's simple. It's clear. And John is reminding these Christians and us of it. We should love one another. Now, what is love? There's a thousand definitions out there. I'm just going to simply define it as selfless care. Selfless care, that's love. That we should have a selfless care for one another as believers. And out of that, we should delight in one another. We should enjoy each other. We should serve one another. Love one another is the simple command. Now he immediately contrasts this command with the hatred and evil of Cain. Look at verse 12. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Christians, we have a simple command. We should love one another. But what is this contrast to? The murder and evil of Cain. Christian brotherly love is immediately contrasted with Cain. Cain and Abel is a famous story from the Old Testament. It's in Genesis 4. Adam and Eve have two sons. Cain grew crops, Abel tended flocks, and they both presented offerings to the Lord. And Genesis 4 says Cain presented some fruit, and Cain or Abel presented his firstborn from the flock in fat portions. And God looks at these two gifts and he accepts Abel's and rejects Cain's. Cain was furious and in his anger, he took Abel out to a field and murdered him. Why? Well, John tells us his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. John is telling us, don't be like Cain. Don't hate your brother and murder him. Okay, now you might be thinking, check, got that. Love one another, don't murder Christians. I can go with that. Like this seems like something like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna be okay. Pretty straightforward. Avoid being like Cain. But look what John reveals in the next couple of verses. Look at verse 13. He's, do, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed on from death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Okay, what is he saying? Whoever does not love abides or remains in death. Instead of abiding or remaining in God, you abide and remain in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Very similar to Jesus' teaching on anger and hatred. To hate And God's economy is the equivalent of murder. If you fail to love and instead hate your brother or sister, the same murderous heart of Cain is resident within you. You are following in his footsteps. Now, again, you might object. 
well, I don't hate anyone, so I'm good, right? Well, let's think about the dynamics of Cain's relationship with Abel. Think about what happened with Cain. He takes a gift to God. His brother takes a better one. And he's rejected, his brother's accepted. It, it, it infuriates him. He loses it. Now ask yourself this, why does his brother's success threaten him so much? This is a pretty simple situation. Cain brings some fruit. His brother brings the best of his flocks. Cain's gift is rejected. God, Abel's is accepted. God even goes to Cain and says, hey, look, just do what's right and you'll be accepted. But Cain can't handle it. He loses it. It eats at him. It seems like a pretty simple response that Cain should have had. But instead, Abel's success, his acceptance gnaws at him. Why? It's because Cain is self-deceived. Cain has fallen into self-deception. On the outside, Cain brings his fruits and it looks like what he wants is just to worship God. That's what it looks like on the outside. But that is not what he wants most of all. What he wants most, more than anything else, is self-justification. He is using worship to validate himself. Worship as a means to reinforce a self-justifying image he has created for himself. And what did this self-justifying image need more than anything? His brother to fail. Cain came to the altar for self-justification. Abel came to the altar simply to worship. And when Abel was accepted, it was a direct attack on Cain's self-justifying image. And that's why it filled him with anger. And it's exactly this self-deception that is within us that prevents us from loving one another. So Natalie and I both went to Iowa State, and after we graduated, we moved back to Des Moines. I worked for the church I grew up at for a year or so, and then we moved back to Ames, and I jumped on staff at Salt. And over the course of my time at Salt, I was given a specific responsibility. There was a student in our ministry that was particularly difficult. Yeah, he had a lot of challenges that were outside of his control that made it difficult for him to engage in our ministry and for others to engage with him. And so he just needed additional care. And I was assigned to be the point person for the care team of this, of this student. And I did a really great job, actually. I was able to organize a really solid support group for him. We were able to meet about once a month, if not more often than that. I responded to multiple crisis situations in his life. And by and large, he was really well cared for, and he was integrating into our ministry really, really effectively. Now, why did I do such a great job? The reason... I did such a great job caring for this individual was because I cared so much about being seen by others. I did a really good job at loving him, having never actually loved him. My highest concern was that people thought of me as a compassionate, sacrificial, caring individual that my boss, my coworkers thought, man, you are doing a fantastic job staying organized and effective in this relationship, navigating a difficult situation. I cared a lot about him being the one that he would approach in the lobby and people seeing how well we related to one another. 
The reason I did such a good job caring for him was because I didn't care about him, but because I cared about myself. I had a self-justifying image. I was self-deceived. I had reduced him to an object. He was a means to a more important end in my mind, validating myself as a caring, loving, sacrificial leader. I didn't love him for his sake. I loved him for my sake. I was on the path of Cain. And it might have looked like I was loving him, but I had reduced him to an object. Now, it didn't take me long to think of that example in my life. And my guess is it wouldn't take you long to think of a time when you did something for someone else for your own gain, not for their sake. This is self-deception. And it's the greatest barrier to our ability to loving others. Why do we compare ourselves to other Christians? Why do we inflate the quality of our obedience and minimize the reality of our failures? Self-justification. We have self-justifying images of ourselves that we need to reinforce. I'm a generous person. I'm a disciplined person. I'm a caring person. I'm a knowledgeable person. And it's good to be all of those things. But when they become a self-justifying image, the way that I feel accepted, then we will inflate anything that reinforces them and everyone around us becomes a means, an object that either reinforces or threatens my self-image. Cain didn't go to worship. He went to reassure himself that he was the kind of person who did the right thing, who was a hard worker, who obeyed God. And when that self-deception was exposed by Abel, he couldn't handle it. And Abel went from a brother to an obstacle. It is impossible to love when you are obsessed with your self-justification. Your self why? Because it reduces brothers and sisters to, to objects that reinforce or threaten our validation. Love is selfless care. You might be doing the right thing, but if you are going to the altar, not for them or for God, you are doing it for your own justification. I'm a good person. I care about others. And when that's true, you are no longer loving them you're loving yourself. This is the path of Cain and it leads to us to hate others. How do we begin to hate others when this is true of us? Well, when we serve someone and then they don't cooperate with our project of self-justification, it causes us to be frustrated. Frustration leads to bitterness. Bitterness then leads to anger. Anger then leads to hatred. What started out as an opportunity to serve someone quickly grows into a, a moment of hatred towards them. In the end, the reason we hate others is because we ultimately have some self-absorbed view of ourselves and they are threatening it in some way. Cain needed validation that he was a good person, so he sacrificed a gift on an altar as a means to an end. His validation and Abel threatened it. So how do we know if we're doing this? How do we know if this is how we are treating someone else? Well, let me unpack four indicators for us. Four indicators that we are using someone as an object for our own gain. First, calculating. 
In that story in Ames, I began to be calculated in that relationship with that student. Everything I did for them, I had a calculated reason, a return on investment, a cost-benefit analysis. And I knew the, the, at some point the returns, there'd be a diminishing return. If I got lunch with him too often, well, that didn't really move the needle on people seeing me as more caring or not. So I began to wonder, how little do I need to serve him in order for people to see me as caring? Calculating. When you see others as a means to an end, you are calculated. How little do I need to serve my wife in order for her to feel like I am a caring husband? How engaged do I need to be as a parent for my children to respond to my influence? Can I serve once a month at Candeo and people think I'm a servant, or does it need to be twice a month and people think I'm a servant at Candeo? How many personal questions do I need to ask my coworkers in order for them to think I'm relatable? We begin to calculate. Cain calculated. Notice in Genesis 4, it says Cain brought some fruit. He was calculated. For Abel, he was worshiping God for his sake, just for the worship. So he brought his best. He brought fat portions. Cain brought what he thought would be enough, enough to get validation. When we are loving others for their sake, we aren't calculating cost-benefit analysis. We aren't calculating returns on investment. Here's the second indicator, accreditation. We want credit. With this student, I found myself getting frustrated anytime he began to talk positively about other staff members, about the impacts that they had had in his life. I found myself getting frustrated when other people got credit for how well he was doing and I didn't get credit for it. Accreditation. Here's the third thing we do, inflation and minimization. For this student, I found myself inflating how much I really did for him. I knew how often we met, how much time I'd put into that relationship, but I would inflate it in my mind and in my conversations to make it seem like I had done so much more for this guy. And at the same time, I would minimize in my mind, in my conversations, missed opportunities and moments where I didn't do what I knew I should have done. Fourth indicator, blame. We begin to blame. When we see people this way, we begin to blame them for our problems. Cain blamed his rejection on Abel. Instead of owning his lack of worship and sacrifice, he blamed Abel. He's the reason I'm rejected. We do this when we have a selfish view of others. My kids are the reason, my spouse is the reason, my coworkers are the reason, my neighbors are the reason. We blame them for our failures. This is what happens when we are loving others for our own sake and not theirs. Are you doing this? At first, these commands seem simple. Love one another. Don't murder like Cain. But are you walking on the path of Cain? Here's some assessment questions to self-assess. Are you threatened by the success of others? Do you only love people that might benefit you? If you were honest, are you secretly pleased when others fail? Do you gossip? If so, why do you gossip? Are you jealous of the opportunities other people get? Are you annoyed 
at the problems and needs of others? Do you inflate the ways you serve and minimize moments of failure? Do you calculate in your relationships? Do you care more about serving or about being seen serving? Self-deception. This isn't how Christian love works. We are to truly love one another. So how? How can we break free from our need to justify ourselves, to validate ourselves so we can truly love others, not needing them to validate our self-justifying images? Here's the reality. As long as you need self-justification, loving others is impossible for you which means the only way you can be free to love is once you realize you already have all the justification you need. Look at verse 16. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. How can your heart be healed from its self-absorbed, self-deceived, self-justifying heart of Cain. It's by embracing the self-sacrificing love of Christ. The ultimate display of selfless care of love was Christ laying down his life for you. You and I were completely undeserving of this gift, unworthy of it, and yet what did God do? He sent his own son to die for us. And when he did it, it fully justifies us. We are fully accepted before God. There is nothing in us that made us worthy of Christ's love, and yet we have it. Yet he loved us. And what happens when you realize that you have full acceptance before God? You are finally free to truly love others. You are finally free to genuinely lay down your life for others, not to earn God's love, not to earn justification, but because you already have it. It's impossible to love when you're looking for self-acceptance, but when you understand and delight in the full acceptance you have in Christ, you will be free to love others for their sake. Why? Because you don't need anything from them. You have everything you need in Christ. All the acceptance, all the validation, all the justification your heart could ever want is in him. So you can finally love others for their sake and God's sake. There is nothing you can do to make yourself more or less acceptable before God because of Christ's blood, which means you can finally love others simply for their sake. Before you understand and delight in that, you are loving others ultimately for your own sake which leads to hatred, seeing them as an object. But when you are blown away by the love of Christ, you will finally be free to love one another. When you see others through this lens of selfless care, the same way that God saw you, it moves you with compassion. It fills you for delight and care for them. Now the opposite is true. Your failure to love others is an indicator that you might not understand this love. Look at verse 17. But if anyone has the world's good and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? It's a contradiction to claim, I have God's love abiding in me, and yet close my heart towards the needs of others. When God's love is in you, it breaks your heart for the needs of others around you. 
Yet when we fail to care for others in need, we are on the path of Cain. Why? Again, we're making the world revolve around ourselves. I don't want to burden myself with the needs of others. When we, when we say that we are betraying ourselves, our closed heart towards others exposes our closed heart towards God. But what's true of genuine Christians, when we understand the love of God, it transforms us. Look at verse 18. Therefore, what should we do? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Until you understand that you have full acceptance before God, you will always be treating those around you as a means to the end of your own acceptance, the means to an end of your own validation. But when you rest in the full acceptance you have in Christ, you will finally be free. You will finally be transformed to love others around you. Now, what happens when that's true? Well, look at verse 19. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. What happens by this, by our love for others that flows out from this knowledge, what happens then It assures our hearts before him. Now, this isn't undermining what we said about selfless love by saying, if you love others, you're saved. No, this is him going, him saying the natural fruit of understanding what Christ has done for you is to be transformed to love others. This is just a simple mark of genuine understanding of the gospel. And when you understand that loving others is a natural response, and what then happens, verse 20, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Now there's moments where we fail, we miss this. What happens in those moments when our hearts condemn us? Well, God's grace is greater. Christ's blood covers us and it's this grace that begins to transform us again into people who love others. Verse 21, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. If you understand the grace that we have in Christ and that's moving you to love others just genuinely for their sake, that is a fruit of your relationship with God. And it gives you confidence before him. Now, what happens when you have confidence before God? Well, two results. First, boldness in prayer. And then second, abiding in him. Verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive for him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. When we have this confidence before God, it moves us to be bold before him in our prayers. Our hearts are assured we are his and we confidently pray. I'm his child. He is my father. Here's the second thing that happens is we enjoy communion with him. We abide with him, verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commands abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. When we believe in Jesus, that overflows into our love for others. We can have communion with him. And it's actually our failure to love others that can prevent us from remaining and abiding in him. But as we allow our belief in Jesus to overflow into our love for others, we have communion with him. All right, some practical next steps. How do we break free from self-deception and begin to take steps towards loving others the way God has called us to? Well, first we need to acknowledge Acknowledge those moments of self-deception. Acknowledge those moments where you're using other people as a means to an end. Second, identify. What is the need I am trying to get to meet or protect by treating this person in a self-centered way? 
When I'm self-absorbed with this person, what am I trying to get from this? What self-justifying image am I trying to reinforce? Third, how has Jesus already met that need through his grace? Whatever image I'm trying to reinforce, whatever need I'm trying to meet has already been met in Jesus. What is, how has Jesus already met that? And then fourth, what practical action do I need to take to genuinely love this person in the way God has called me? When we implement those, we will become more and more free from the self-justifying images, treating people as an object, as a means to an end. You are fully accepted in Christ. When you realize that, you will be free from using others for your own sake and genuinely loving them for their sake. Let's pray. God, we come to a command like this, and it's so simple. Love one another. And yet, God, it's so complicated when we we begin to reflect on our hearts. The selfishness that's in there the ways that we manipulate relationships for self-centered gain. God, would you reveal that to us? Would you reveal the needs we're trying to meet? The self-justifying images we're trying to protect and reinforce. And God, would you give us peace in Christ to see the ways that he's already met and fulfilled those needs. to see the ways that we are already fully accepted, fully justified by his grace. And God, as we recognize that, as we delight in that, would that transform us into people who love others for their own sake? To worship you for your own sake. Not as a way to validate ourselves, but in response to the grace we've received in Christ. Lord, we love you. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.